Hey, y'all. Good morning. Oh, that was very controlled and sweet. You guys are so well-behaved. Let me introduce myself a little bit to my family. Uh, my name is Ryan Hughes. Uh, my wife back there is Amy and little baby Jane. And Ava is our big girl, four and a half. Hi, she's waving. Very sweet. If any of you get the babysitting bug at all this week, those two girls, fantastic candidates. My wife and I are pretty good at doing stuff on our own, so just throwing out there. I'm going to be uh, your speaker every evening and this morning, obviously, uh, except for Friday night. John Ranham's going to cap it off. They saved the best for last, as always. Just like Chick-fil-A. Oh, man. The sweetest bite is the last. Oh, that's good stuff. By the way, if you really want to make some serious money in life, um, you know, and still stay in the Christian little world, own a Chick-fil-A store. Just saying. Make tons of money. Um, I, <clears throat> I'm here because um, my story is similar to y'all. I'm currently in ministry. Um, I'm in the RUF guy at Colorado State. If you don't know what RUF is, ask me later. Um, I work with Colorado, or college students in Colorado. I've been doing this now for seven years. Uh, but I was a camper in your shoes here at Horn Creek back in the 90s. I didn't say Crick. Did I? Oh. And then I was a counselor for a couple times, and then a speaker a couple years ago at Glorietta. So it's an absolute privilege for me to be here. Let's open up God's Word to you. And this brings back a lot of memories for me, actually. So uh, that's been fun, too. We are going to, this entire week, look at Hebrews 11 and the first two verses of Hebrews 12. Today, for the beginning, we're going to start at the end. Isn't that nice? Hebrews 12. So turn your Bibles, if you would, with me to Hebrews 12. We're just going to look at the first couple of verses. We're actually going to look at the last half of verse 1 and verse 2. We're going to talk about what this whole race is. We have a very nice logo, uh, which disappeared, but it's on your t-shirts. Uh, the Amazing Race. You're going to be challenged a lot this week. You're going to do a lot of stuff, and that's good. We're going to talk about what the race is. What can you expect from this race? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the, what's the race about? What's it for? What's the reward? What's my place in it? We're going to unpack that from Hebrews. So it sounds like maybe uh, most of y'all are there. So Hebrews 12, if you have to look in your index at the beginning of your Bible, that's perfectly fine. I will not judge you because I am that person still, okay? Um, I cannot say all the books of the Bible in order, and I'm ordained. <laughs> Let's read this together, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated even now at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray as we begin. Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us with one thing this morning, that we might have our eyes fixed on you? Jesus, I pray that in my weakness and in the weakness of our own just ability to run this race individually, 
We're so weak and we just, we, we are weighed down by sin so much. Jesus, this morning, would you help us? Would you be present? Would you break through? Might we see you in your glory this morning? Amen. What might put you ahead of the crowd so as to win the race? How might you win the race? It's a decent question. I love to win. I love to win. You have no idea how much I love to win. I had some people over for uh, our house, so we did, for July 4th. I have certain yard games that I put out every time because I'm really good at them. Uh, croquet and washers. I won every single game. If I hadn't won every single game, guess what? I would have been angry. You love to win. I'm competitive. You're maybe not as competitive as I am. You're competitive in something. You're like, I can't play sports. Fine, you're competitive in, in, in World of Warcraft. Okay, whatever. Like, I don't know. You're competitive. You want to win. Because I love to win, because you love to win, we love to bring ourselves glory. It's just who we are. And because of that fact, we have completely misunderstood the race of Christianity. Completely misunderstood it. All of us have, or will, at some point. Because it's not about winning. I tricked you in the beginning. What would make you win the race? Well, sorry. The race of Christianity is not about winning. It's about something else. There's this whole thing going around in Christianity. Uh, it's called uh, being a radical Christian. Uh, some of you in Texas and maybe some of you in ACPC and the OC might know what I'm talking about because that's where all the radical Christians are. Um, that's just what you are told. We are told now, if you look in the bookstore, there's these authors, you know, Francis Chan and David Platt and this other guy, Ian, when I can't remember his name. Radical Christianity, if you really love Jesus, you will fill in the blank. If you really want to worship Jesus as a church, you will fill in the blank. Here's an example from what I'm talking about from Christianity Today. Maybe some of you have seen this, about this rising trend of radical, in quotes, Christianity among conservative Christians. And here's what part of the article says. It's not easy to make the church of Brook Hills, Alabama's second largest congregation look like a slum, huge megachurch. But in 2010, the church collected trash all over Birmingham and set it on its stage. Corrugated metal, scrap wood, plastic tarps, and other debris. Three months before, their lead pastor, David Platt, had proposed that their church take India, by which he meant to pay for the entire Compassion International's child survival programs in that country for an entire year. The whole church couldn't just jump on a plane and, and get over there, but all the rubbish on the stage tangibly reminded its members of the country's impoverished communities, and with the stage literally set, Platt called his church to, some, to give uh, more than $525,000 to Compassion. That's half a million dollars more money you'll ever see in your entire life unless you own a Chick-fil-A store. <laughs> Platt and the church at Brook Hills, which is affiliated with, it doesn't matter, I'm going to skip that. The church at Brook Hills spent a full year praying for the world, reading the entire Bible, giving their money to those in need and spending time in a context beyond Birmingham and building community. I mean, maybe not so bad, but I want us to ask something a little different. I want us to go in a different direction. I want us to ask, what, what does Jesus say life with him is about? Does he tell us what he wants 
as we live for him. As a matter of fact, he does. That's convenient. This is good. In Matthew 10 and Matthew 24, he tells his disciples twice and in two different contexts what he is expecting from them as they run the race. In Matthew 10, this is the first time where he sent his disciples out. They're total newbies. They're freshmen. They've been with Jesus for a few months, maybe a year. And Jesus says, go out on your own. No clothes no sh- except for what's on your back. No shoes except for what's on your feet. Don't even bother to take any food. Go out. Go crazy. Be radical Christians. And here's what he says. And you will be hated for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when Jesus was talking to the disciples in Matthew 24, the end of his ministry, they're no longer rookies or outgoing seniors from youth excelling in leadership. Guess what he tells them? Oh, I'm going away, by the way. Disappearing, poof, in the clouds. And here's what Jesus tells them. He says, here's what I want you to do. Here's the race. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus has asked us to endure and not to be radical. What are the rules of the race then? What does it mean to endure? We're going to talk about that. How do we know how to run? We're going to talk about that. But very briefly and simply, when Jesus is asked by this, uh, I don't know what's going on with the wind up here, whatever, the AC. Um, although it's good because I'm not, you know, sweating under here. Just thought you might want to know that. Um, <laughs> When Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing? How, how can I, you know, what's the most important thing to do for God? Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what God wants us to do. And that sounds so mundane. It's so simple. It's, it's in the Bible everywhere. I've heard it a thousand times. But y'all, that is so radical and impossible that nobody has ever done it. I want to see, you, you know, having powerful visuals in the church stage, that's fine. That is radical. That's kind of weird. Like, boy, giving half a million to children in India, that's, I mean, that's awesome. It really is. When you think about it, what exactly is so radical about seeking justice and giving money to the poor? As far as I know, that's the baseline ethic of Christianity. <laughs> I think our problem is we're bored with the American dream and we're bored with the gospel, so we invent all these other things. The Christian life is an endurance race. I think it'd be easier for me, you know, it's at camp, and maybe, I don't know, it's an easier message to convince you to fill this stage in this amphitheater with some symbol of your outrageous commitment to Jesus. I went to the kind of Christian school in the 90s where we were encouraged to burn all of our pagan music CDs. Okay. But then I like started to listen to some of the pagan music, and I like really liked it. I was like, "Oh crap!" Uh, Metallica, y'all. I'm just saying, those dudes, they just shred it. They're awesome musicians. We need to be more nuanced and all this kind of thing. But I'm going to read you another quote, kind of a response to this radicalism in Christianity. It's by a guy named Anthony Bradley, which the Covenant. Seminary people and some other folks may know, just a, just a super awesome dude, uh, super smart. Was at Covenant for a while, now at Acton Institute, does some things with college students. Here's what he says. He uh, actually tweeted this 
little phrase and it caused all this stuff. He says being a radical, in quotes, missional, in quotes, Christian is slowly becoming the new legalism. And he says we need more ordinary God and people lovers. Quoting Matthew 22. And he goes on to write this later in a blog post. The observation that he just that I just quoted you was a result of a long conversation with a student, a college student, who was wrestling with what to do with his life given all of the opportunities he had available to him. And to my surprise, Bradley writes, my comments exploded over the interwebs. He said internet because he's smart. With dozens and dozens of people sharing the comment and sending me personal correspondence, he had hit some chord, obviously. And here's what he writes. I continue to be amazed by the number of youth and young adults who are stressed and burned out from the regular shaming and feelings of inadequacy if they happen to not be doing something unique and special. Today's millennial generation is being fed the message, this is you, that if they don't do something extraordinary in this life, they're wasting their gifts and their potential. The sad result is that many adults feel ashamed if they settle into ordinary jobs, get married, and start families, or worse, live in small towns. Or as 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, this is in the Bible, aspire to live quietly and to mind your affairs and to work with your hands. For too many millennials, their greatest fear in this life is being an ordinary person with a non-glamorous job, living in the suburbs and having nothing spectacular to boast about. There is a health epidemic, a crisis on the college campus. This is you in a few years and some of you in a few months. And you know what it is? You're stressed and you're burned out and you just can't see how to go on. What is this race about? We will misunderstand the race of Christianity if we think it is up to us to be the best, the smartest, the prettiest, the fastest. It's not about winning. The race, let's look at what the race is about. The race is an endurance race. I know I've said this. It is the race across America, not the 100-meter dash. All right? The race across America, do you even know what I'm talking about? People race their bikes across America, right? Coast to coast, it's like 4,000 miles. I don't actually I don't know how long it is, 4,000 miles or whatever. There's these crazy people that do it every year. It takes weeks or whatever. They don't sleep. They barely eat. It's nuts. They actually kind of go nuts in the mines. Incredible. Nutty. Then there's the 100-meter dash. It's over in 9.2 seconds if you're Usain Bolt, right, with the golden shoes. 100-meter dash, you train, you're done, you know, the cameras, and whoo, you know, you don't even pull a muscle, like you're just, you're just ready, just that fast twitch fiber, just ready to go, pop, you're done to, in, nine, in, you know, nine point whatever seconds. Christianity is a race across America, it's a race around the world, it's an endurance race, it's perseverance, it's not about a paycheck. The goal is to survive, and survive well, but survive, it's a marathon not a sprint. Anybody in here run a marathon? A sprint marathon, 13 miles, that's cool. You run a marathon? Anybody ridden triathlon? Anybody ridden their bike more than 50 miles? More than 100 miles. Anybody hiked? Okay, a few people. Anybody hiked a 14er? Is Horn, okay, yeah. Is Horn Peak a 14er, like 12-2? 
Oh, pff, weak sauce. Just kidding. It's a super hard hike. I will use that as an illustration later, believe me, of endurance. We're talking, the long, we're talking the long haul here. We're talking distance, not time. And every race has obstacles. This is what a race is. Paul is using, sorry, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews was probably Paul. Maybe Paul and Peter, I don't know. It's got Peterisms, it's got Paulisms. Every race has obstacles. That is a race. It has to be overcome. Think of any race, even if you want to do a sprint, that's fine. Uh, or a marathon. Like, they're internal obstacles. It's your own body. It's, it's, your, it's your record time. It's other competitors, right? It's a, it's a distance. It's a, it's a height. It's a length. It's a something. It's, it's illness when you're in the race and you thought you were going to be healthy, whatever. A race is about overcoming obstacles. That's what makes it a race. This is, it's, so, you know, the writer didn't say, this is a touring event. You know, this is a race across America. This is not RVing across America, okay? It's a race. There are obstacles. What is the race? Well, what does verse 1 say? No, the last half. The obstacle is sin. The thing to overcome is sin and the weight of that sin. That might sound mundane, maybe you're you know, looking for something more spectacular than that, but I want you to see and think about, even for just a second, that you can do radical stuff merely because you're bored with the American dream or you want personal glory and not simply because of the gospel. So what does it look like to race according to the gospel, and not for myself. In one sense, who cares how much money you give away? Who cares how many people you lead? Who cares all the stuff you do if you're not running the race that God would have for you? I'm saying that because you cannot earn favor with God. You can give away a zillion dollars and lead people all over the place and whatever else. And you can the entire time trying to be earning your way to God. That's not what the race is about either. Sin lies so closely, Hebrews says. It's a weight. It's just like, it's just hanging on. It won't leave us alone. Sin is what I must endure. Jesus died on the cross to not make us radical Christians. He died on the cross to free us from sin. If it was a big enough deal for Jesus to die on the cross for, in the shame, in the betrayal, and all that would just, you know, and the suffering, and the torture, and all of that. It's a big enough deal for us to endure under as well. What is sin? Sin is obsession with myself. Sin is wanting to win. Sin is loving myself more than others. Sin is loving my money and my things and my personal potential and my gifts and my relationships more than God. Sin is constantly at your door. God tell, This is God's version when he tells, I see Cain killed Abel. Cain, in Genesis 4, God says sin is at your door seeking to devour you at every moment. Sin clings to you. Sin lies so closely. Sin doesn't give up. Sin is a shapeshifter. It changes. He, uh, it, sin is deceitful. Sin is, 
Sin never ends. Sin has incredible endurance. Never goes away. This is why we sang earlier that Jesus is the everlasting one and the never failing one. Because you are not the everlasting one. And you are the constantly failing one. Join the club. Join the race of Christianity. Jesus is the one who has endures and endured. And sin, sin is brutal. It's against sin that we must struggle. It has incredible endurance. So we need a gospel endurance. We need an endurance that comes straight from Jesus and the cross in order to survive. That's why being a lover of God is so epic. You've never done anything harder than resist sin and flee temptation. It is so much easier for you to burn some CDs, make some new commitments, write a personal vision statement here this afternoon. We're talking about the positive end of that in a second. And completely miss the gospel. That's so easy. You know what's hard? (laughs) Fleeing temptation. Running from sin. Grasping at every moment what it means to have Jesus at my sights. You have never done anything harder than trust God with your life than run the race of faith in Jesus Christ. You have never done anything so harder as trust Jesus with your college applications. Can I get an amen from outgoing seniors? Thank you. You've never done anything harder than say no to a relationship because it would dishonor Jesus. You have never done anything harder than say no to something that you really want because it wouldn't give glory to God. You've never done anything harder than love the unlovable person who might even be here with you this week. Simply because Jesus loves you first and no other reason. There's nothing else harder in life to do. Give away half a million dollars. That is so easy. Money grows on trees in America. It's just dumb. It's so easy. Give away money, fine. Give away your time, fine. You have more time. You, you have more time this week than, like the peop- than people in the 1700s had an entire year. And free time at your disposal. Give away your time. That's, you know, that's fine. There's something more. Jesus is asking us, believe it or not, to do something more. This race is about dying to sin and living more and more to Jesus. Doing that personally and doing that in community. I'm not an uh, obsessive texter. This is my clock. Okay. Understanding that is the key to not getting off track and to thinking that I'm running the race merely because I am obeying the law of God. It's not what the race is about either. Give to the poor, be, ni- be a nice person, try your best. That's all wonderful. But the reward at the end of the race is to not show Jesus your report card. You need to be so busy repenting of your own sin and repenting together of the sin of your community and your church and your family, and relying on Jesus, that you don't have time to tally up all your good works. The Christian life is about fighting sin with the power of the cross. So what's this race for? Okay, what am I aiming for? Or rather, what's the reward? 
Here we have to understand what the author is talking about because he, um, his athletic context is completely different from ours. Modern races have virtually nothing to do except that the mere fact that there is a race with the ancient Greek games and how they worked and the illustration that Paul elsewhere in the New Testament and the writer of Hebrews is here using when he's talking about a race. The Greek games and the Olympics, right, and all that kind of thing, you know about all that, that it exists, and we were in Athens a few years ago, and that was wonderful, and sent the country into a horrible spiral of debt and misery to put on the games there, but that's another discussion for you people who want to study economics and political science. What are we talking about? Anyways, the Olympic games in ancient Greece were completely tied to religion. You know, it, if you're from the South, you understand what I'm talking about, right? F- football um, or Texas. Okay, a bunch of, bunch of pagans. Actually, yeah. Uh, go Longhorns, go, whatever. Anyway, religion and athletics were completely tied together. This is what it means. You, the, the entire purpose of having the Olympics and any athletic event, any race was to honor the gods. You, you had a race because it was a festival of one of the gods. You had a race not to win, not to paycheck, not to get the golden shoes, not to be the fastest man in the world, the fastest woman in the world. You had it. You ran the race to honor the gods. That was the entire reason. Nobody got rich doing athletics. In fact, the rich people ran the athletics, several Caesars and other things. It was a way to honor the gods. The entire purpose of the games were to give honor. It was a worship act to the gods. Now, we kind of get this in America. We completely switched. I'm just going to give up with the pages. We completely kind of switched it, right, because we still have it. It's still a religion. It's just the religion is me, right? Well, like, sports is still about that. It's just about, you know, the, uh, you know Dwayne Wade and, uh, and LeBron and everybody winning two in a row and, and it's about, you know, whoever winning, you know, this title and that title. It's about uh, what's his name in the Wheaties box and Ryan Lochte and Michael Phelps and uh, Usain Bolt, the fastest man on the planet. It's all about me. We still get that. But we've completely divorced from this religious thing. And the reward that the ancient athlete had was two things. The victorious athlete got to say, that he owed his success to the gods. The victory was to give the glory to the gods, right? We kind of have this, right? Do the, do the Tebow. Everybody, come on, you know. Uh, the Florida State people hate Tebow probably. Where are you, Chris? Yeah, see, she hates Tebow. Not really, she's a Christian. She doesn't want to hate Tebow, but Tebow was UF and beat the crap out of Florida State while they were there. But that's another thing. And we still kind of do that. But, uh, you know, the whole worship thing. But the entire point was to worship the gods. Have you ever wondered? I've wondered this for years, and this was only recently answered in my life. Why, if you won the Olympic Games, you got, like, that useless wreath on your head? You're like, oh, thanks. Was that from your garden? I feel so special. You know, that's all you got. There was no Wheaties box. There was no millions of dollars. There was no endorsements. There was no Nike this. There was no any of that stuff. It was simply to give honor to the gods. That was the reward. Huh. We don't do it like that anymore. And here's the second thing. You got to sit as a spectator in the amphitheater and watch the rest of the races. 
Those are your rewards. You got a useless wreath. You got to say, you know, thank you to the big man upstairs. And you got to sit as a spectator and watch the race. Completely different. The key to not being exhausted by the Christian race is to understand the reward. And what you think of as reward as an American is completely wrong. The reward is something else. Let's talk about what the reward is. Thankfully, again, the scripture is so straightforward. It tells us exactly what this reward is. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Because you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer's illustration of a race is a completely different context than ours. To finish the race means you get to thank the gods for their kindness of you. In other words, if you come in first or finish the race or win in super huge quotes, win, it means that all you get to say is that the gods gave you victory. That's your only answer. That's it. I want you to turn to 1 Peter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. Not super long, but I just want you to have it in front of you. This is a different kind of race. When you think of reward, you're thinking gold medal, you're thinking glory, you're thinking podium spot, because that's what I'm thinking, and I love that stuff. I love to, to beat you at whatever, so that even in ministry, I am such a disgusting person. I want to be the best RUF campus minister, so everybody will say I'm the best RUF campus minister. I'm not even close. 1 Peter 1, 3-7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through all of your hard work. Oh, no. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, unto an inheritance, right, which is our reward. The reward is an inheritance. That is, here's what the inheritance is. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. You, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through all of your hard work. Oh, I'm sorry, different version. Oh, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that test the genuineness of your faith, and some of this is missing, that something trial by fire, I'm sorry, I'm missing that part, but it's in your Bible. So that your, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me, what have, in this entire passage, Rhetorical question. What have you done? You haven't done jack. According to God's mercy, he caused you to be born again, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All his work to an inheritance is imperishable and defiled, kept in heaven for you. You're not even, okay, so, I mean, that's nice, right? Jesus saved us, we'll get to heaven. But even the race is not your power. Look at verse 5 again. Who by God's power are being guarded. Passive verb mean you're still not doing anything. Being guarded through faith. 
All you're doing is resting and trusting and believing. Believe me, it's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life is what the rest of this week is about. For what? For a salvation. To be revealed at the last time outside of you. You haven't done anything to start it, to earn it, to keep it, to get it, to sustain it. You don't even get the glory. What do you get? You get to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. The reward was won by Christ. It is kept in heaven for you by Christ. The reward is Christ. The race in God's mind has absolutely nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with glorifying God. Where's the applause and the glory that we love so much? Where's the honor? It's Christ alone. But did I not win? Did I not finish? Come on, I did all this stuff. I worked hard. You know, I, I didn't get a divorce. I had children who loved Jesus. I kept my job. I gave away a lot of money. Yeah, that's, that's really great. <laughs> but do you know Jesus? Has his love so overcome you that you have no other choice? but to give him all the honor and glory. The race is not about you, it's about Jesus. The award is a person. And this is even more clear as we look at finally how the race is run. Verse 2 says, you know, we run the race with endurance. How? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Huh. The race is run by looking to Jesus, by having Jesus as my vision, as having the gospel as my vision, having the story of what Jesus has done before me as my vision. Looking to Jesus, not looking to the next turn in the track, not looking to the next peak to climb, not looking you know, to your next, uh, your next training interval, not looking to yourself, looking to Jesus. My thinking on this has been, uh, yeah, I'll do this. I'll go maybe five minutes, a little longer, just to do this. Um, my thinking has been kind of changed on this a little bit because, uh, for two, two, two reasons. I mean, what Christianity really looks like. Two things have happened simultaneously, um, which has changed the way I've thought about this. One is, let's do some sermons and doing a little study in the book of Revelation, which we're not even at all going to talk about, really. What I see in Revelation, what others have begun to taught me, is that, um, it is those who survive that get the crown. You know whose names are written in the book of life? Those that persevere to the end. If you read Revelation, you are surrounded by dragons and wars and sin and the beast and the sea. And do you know what you're doing in Revelation? You know how you're fighting this battle? You're singing in worship. That's your role. Jesus is fighting. It's incredible. And I'm like, this is so different from anything in our culture, from anything in my own life. The race is about endurance, and endurance is about faith in Jesus at every point. When I'm, when I'm overcome by the sea, when I'm, uh, I'm, I'm um, in fear of the dragon, when I'm weighed down by sin. So that, and another thing, I have started doing a lot of endurance cycling events. I love to race my bike and ride my bike forever. 
But I'm talking endurance events. I'm talking events where like, man, I was done about two hours ago mentally and physically. And the finish line is still ahead of me. It's changed the way I've thought about the Christian life. And really the other thing is I've gotten older and like it's more complicated. And you're like, man, this is long. Oh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a long race. This is a long ride. It is about endurance. Colossians 1, 11 and 12 say this. May you be strengthened with all power. Be strengthened, passive again, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints of light. God gives you strength. God has qualified you for the inheritance. You don't win it. It has been won for you. Christ has won the award. Christ and the inheritance of his eternal blessing is the award. As I was preparing these talks, just in the last two weeks, I've had two major epic endurance sort of athletic things. And I'll tell you a real story from real life in a second. But So one was, I was doing another camp earlier in uh, the summer. I don't even remember the dates. I don't even know where I am right now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out by Wednesday. Um, there's this road. It's the highest paved road in North America. It's called Trail Ridge Road. It's north of here about, I don't know, 50 miles or something in the Rocky Mountains. So you leave from Rocky Mountain National Park. You can, you know, you can drive or ride your bike or your motorcycle or whatever, you know, from the mountains starting like 8,500 feet like it is right here to the top of the world. It's incredible. You start from 8,000 feet and you climb to 12,200 feet. And you just, you literally see the entire universe. The 14ers are just like, oh, just a little bit higher. Pfft, ain't no thing. Could hike that in a second, come back down. I rode my bike at the top of this thing. It was uh, three hours straight uphill, um, you know, going at a, at a pretty at a pretty decent clip. I started out, and I started out not feeling so good. I was just like, you know, I was tired and whatever else, but I, I kept climbing. I kept going, and it was painful. Uh, there was no oxygen, and there was less and less and less and less oxygen, but what happened is I is the pain and like you know it was sort of increasing a little bit. I just became I just be, uh, began to be overcome with the glory and the beauty of what I was seeing and the incredible thing that I was in a sense doing. It's not that hard. You could do it too. But I was just I was overcome as as the forest began to change and these canyons and these glacier lakes and these glaciers and these just massive peaks. And the beautiful trees, now the trees change and the smells change. You got higher and higher and higher. Harder to breathe. But you could see more. And then there were no trees, a tree line. And then you get in this tundra, like the stuff in, in like, you know, in, in, uh, in Alaska or whatever. The, the foliage or whatever you call it, you know, the plant stuff. Only grows like a centimeter. I mean, it's just on the ground. And you, there is nothing in front of you except the sky and miles and miles and miles of snow-capped peaks. You're like... This is unbelievable, and I'm riding my bike up there, and I'm just getting, I'm just feeling better and better. I'm just like, I, you know, I wanted to quit when I started. Not too long after, but it's the glory of just God's creation, the beauty, and this incredible thing I was experiencing, the joy that was before me. I just kept going. I had to keep going. It's like, man, I got to see the top of this thing, and then I kept going after that. Actually, and down the other side, and back up, and went nutty. Another time. 
last Saturday, I did this mountain bike race uh, in Keystone, which also high altitude, no oxygen. And uh, it was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, it was about an hour and 10 minutes longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, and so I, I was doing really good at the beginning. And then the second time I had to climb this mountain from 9,000 feet up to 11,200 feet again, I was in serious pain, excruciating pain. My body for an hour and a half, almost two hours, was somewhere between just screaming out loud and shutting, uh, and shutting down. Like I just, everything was, I felt absolutely miserable. And I had miles and miles and hours to go to the top and to the finish line. But I kept going. For some reason, I kept going. I think it's because I have a screw loose in my head. The pain kept, and I started in joy. The pain increased, and it increased, and it increased. To the point where, like, the, my, my physical ability was left behind an hour ago. And I was in this place of just sheer and utter endurance. The only thing I had in front of me was the end. Was the prize. I wanted the prize. I wanted to win the race. I wanted to ride the legs off all those guys. I wanted to win. I wanted to be. And I just kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. I was screaming in pain coming to the last downhill. Literally, I'm screaming out loud in pain, flying down this mountain, going, da, 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 screaming out like, ah, my fingers are cramping, my arms are cramping. My mind was gone two hours ago. It's like, what am I doing? But I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. Two different types of endurance mixed with joy, mixed with pain. Neither of them easy. Both of them finished because of the same thing, because of the prize at the end. Fixing my eyes on that prize drove me to do things that I've never done before. It's similar to walking with Jesus. How was a race won? Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross. I want you to notice... That we run with endurance, yes, but how? Because and out of the endurance of Jesus at the cross. This is where my athletic illustrations, maybe I shouldn't have used them, might confuse the matter, do not apply. It's different. This is where it's different. It's hard to get our minds around, but the race is won in Jesus. Jesus is already won. The endurance is in him. The endurance is the cross. The endurance for you to finish in joy or in pain, in sorrow or in despair, in happiness, in health, in illness, is to fix your eyes on Jesus who was sitting at the end of the race. He's won it for you. He's there. He's the prize. He's the thing you drive after. This is very real to me in my current life right now, my actual life having nothing to do with my hobbies. And that is that I don't know what's going to happen in the next year. Uh, the short version is, you know, RUF is wonderful. I love RUF. And I came to Colorado State, and there wasn't much in place. And I'm having a really hard time actually uh, making a go in terms of um, paying for it, raising money, getting people behind it. I don't know where the money is going to come from to go for another year. At the end of next year, I may not have a job. I don't know what God's going to do. I'm in a place where I have done absolutely everything I can to make this thing work. And officially this week, actually, as of last Friday, I've got nothing left. No other options. Nobody else to call. Nothing else to do. God has to show up. Do you know how hard it is to be in that position? Maybe you don't. Maybe if your family has you know, been through hard things, maybe you do. I have got to, in my actual life, forget athletics, in my actual life, 
endure by looking at Jesus. He said he promised to provide. He said he's called me to be a servant of him in the church. I look at him. I endure merely by trusting him. I have nothing left. Literally, nothing. No more phone calls. No more emails. No more proposals. Nothing else I can do. God has to show up. Endurance is being in that place and not giving up. I want to whine and give up. John Ranheim knows this. I whine to him all the time. I want to whine. I want to give up. I want to become mopey. I want to turn inward. I want to just be angry all the time. Why doesn't Jesus give me this? And da, 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 da. Jesus is asking me and asking you to endure. Faith is how we endure. It's how we get to the reward. The rest of the week, we're going to talk about faith, what that means, and the stories of all the saints that have gone before us. But Christianity is the weirdest race you've ever done in your life. Because the victorious one has run ahead of you, he's asked you to fix your eyes on him, and he's surrounded, we're going to talk about this tonight, he is surrounded by millions who have run before, and they are all cheering you on. You run, and you run not alone. You run, and you run not for yourself. You run, and you run not from your own power. You run from a complete reliance on Christ at absolutely every point. We'll continue this week to talk more about what that means practically and specifically. But for now, fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to close in prayer, do some prayer logistics while the uh, next thing's happening. Pray with me. Jesus, would you seal this on our minds? Would you even challenge us where we're at? whatever our vision is, whatever we have in front of us, whatever we think we might want, Jesus, would you um, transform that? Would you break into that? Would you show us, even as we come to your supper, we literally uh, taste and take in and feel your broken body, your shed blood, your endurance on the cross for us. May we take in your strength and your power at this very moment on your blessed Sabbath day. Jesus, do this, we pray. Amen.